I have a question for you. I want to just ask you the question. Now, don't, don't raise your hand, but my question is, you know, I wonder how many of you would raise your hand if I asked you to, uh, if I were to ask you if you would like a better life, you know, any aspect of your, of your life you would maybe like to see a little better, or maybe I could ask it this way, you know, have you ever been discontent? Or dissatisfied with life. I mean, I think with within all of us, there's there is a longing for what we may call a, a perfect world, or you know, a perfect community, or a perfect relationship. I mean, we we want that, we long for that, and um, we think about how we can describe that. And a man by the name of uh, Sir Thomas More. In 1516, he coined a word that we associate with this dream of a perfect community. And the word is that he, that he coined was uh, and is utopia. And the word utopia is taken from two Greek words meaning uh, nowhere or no place. And I guess the reason he put those two words together to form this uh, concept of utopia is that he's saying there, there is no place where this exists. And so he, he's saying, well, I'm going to come up with this idea of a utopia because it does not exist now, but perhaps it, it could exist. And we all know, you know, stories have been written, you know, films have been made, you know, poems have been carefully constructed, and songs have been sung in order to give expression to this idea of utopia, our desire for this perfect world, perfect community, perfect relationship and one song that's perhaps well known to you that would be in this category of songs that try to give expression to what the world could be is the song entitled Imagine by John Lennon. And Lennon, you know, he tries to picture this perfect world and then he puts it to music and he comes up with this short song. And in part of the song, this is what he sings. He says, Imagine no possessions... I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. So in his vision, he's saying, you know, what if everyone had what they needed and you did not have an issue of greed, you didn't have hunger present? In other words, he's explaining a world that was content. And so that, that's his vision. And th- his song, and songs like it, What they are is they are an expression of this inner discontent that we all have when we look around the world and we see the brokenness and the evil. We say, you know, surely there's a better world or a better world could be uh, put in place rather than the one that we have now. And then you have these songs, these stories, these expressions of that type of world that we imagine uh, as we begin to uh, imagine, you know, put our imagination to the test and we dare to comp- contemplate what that would be like. What would it be like to have a you know, perfect world, perfect community, perfect relationship, perfect church? And so the question for us is, you know, is it possible, is it possible to have a better life in the midst of a broken world? Can you do it? Can you have one? Can you have a, a better life, a better community? In the midst of a broken world. And if you can. 
how do you get there? Like, what path do you take to, to achieve that, to acquire that? And what I see is, there's basically two paths that we choose to walk down in order to experience peace, contentment, and unity. You know, those characteristics of that utopia, that perfect community, that perfect relationship. Uh, there's basically two paths when you break it down. One path is our path, and one path is God's path. And this first path, our path, is one that we've all taken. Some of us are still taking. But it's our path. It's our path. And what I mean by that is our way to achieve a better life. And this is the important part of this. is our way to achieve a better life devoid of God. In other words, we're seeking a better life, but we're not basing it on the person of God and His ways. We're basing it on our way, our vision of what a better life is. And that's what we're seeking. And that's what we're pursuing without consideration of who God is. So we do things our way and our strength to acquire the life that we want. And maybe, maybe you can relate to that. And this is the path that we see the people of Israel and Judah taking in Micah's day. When Micah comes to deliver the message of God to them, basically you have the people of God, instead of seeking God's path, they're seeking their own path, and they're pursuing their own vision of what utopia would be, their own they're climbing their own utopian mountain. And what Micah tells us is that what ends up happening is that they began to uh, come up with their own forms of worship, how they think worship should be experienced, instead of seeking to know how God has prescribed worship to be experienced. They began to put in place uh, very oppressive economic practices that make the powerful rich and oppress the vulnerable. And so you see a plague of greed happening within the community. And you also see them seeking a better life through self-preservation, self-promotion, which gives room to unjust practices. And this is what we've learned in the first three chapters of the book of Micah. And what we see is, what happens is these people, as they pursue the better life for them, they're using the people of the community as stepping stones in order to grasp their better life. And it doesn't take much of imagination to translate that from 700 B.C. You know, to today and how people can do the same thing. But basically what they were doing is they were taking this path of their own making, this view of a better life, and they were making it the goal, what they were living for. And I was reminded of a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. And this is what he says. He says, the person who loves their dream of community destroys community. The person who loves their dream of community destroys community. And so going along with what Bonhoeffer said... When we make our dream of a better life, a better marriage, a better relationship, a better world, the goal, we actually destroy those things. When we do it our way, our vision, our goal, our concept of what a better life is, when we begin to pursue that untethered from God, we actually destroy the very thing that we think we're trying to achieve and acquire. And so, when you have a community 
that is made up of people doing things their own way, what you end up having is a community full of brokenness that is headed toward exile. And this word exile, you know, just this idea of things begin to be taken away. And we know the people of Jerusalem and Judah and Israel were eventually taken away out of the promised land because of their refusal to walk down God's path. But you have this community, if they're seeking their own way, these people seeking their own way apart from God, it ends in brokenness and exile. The writer of Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right, a vision that seems right, but its end is death. If you take that vision, that dream of a better life, if it's unhooked from God, Instead of acquiring a better life, you actually end up with death. Death being a taking away of life itself. Or taking away of other things as well within your life. And this was true of Judah and Israel. And it's true, it can be true of the church today. You know, when we unhook our view of a better life from God. Three of the first things to be exiled are these. Peace. Contentment. And unity. When you begin to seek your own way, walk down your own path, untethered from God, unhooked from God, the three things you lose or that are exiled, peace, contentment, and unity. And this is what they're replaced by. You have a community that is no longer characterized by peace, contentment, and unity. You have a community that is characterized by fear, discontentment, and conflict. And that's what we see in the book of Micah. That was the state of God's people in his day. And maybe, and maybe that's where you are. I mean, just think about your own life. Do you live in a state of fear? Do you, do you live in a continual feeling of discontentment? Does it seem like you're always involved with conflict? I mean, if so, that... That would be a good cause to say, you know, maybe I need to evaluate my path in life. Am I pursuing my path, my way? Or am I pursuing God's path? And Micah's message to the people is he's trying to call them back to God and His ways because God is what they need. They need to be tethered to Him if they want to find life the way it's meant to be experienced. And so the first path is our path. The second path it's God's path. And we see in Micah 1, 2, and 3 the brokenness of the community and how they're pursuing their own path. And then situated here in this chapter 4 of Micah, you get a glimpse of hope that although there's great brokenness in this community, God is going to bring restoration at some point in the future. Look what he tells them in Micah chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people and peoples shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. And if you remember, at the end of chapter 3, God says, Jerusalem is going to be plowed under. In other words, the mountain, the hill where the temple sits, will be plowed under and will be no more. And then in chapter 4, he says, well, the day will come in that day, in this future day, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. And then what Micah tells them is that although there is great brokenness and evil that is dismantling the people of God in their community because they're seeking to do things their own way, God is going to bring about restoration. He's not finished with them yet. And in the middle of this message of rebuke and correction, God gives them a glimpse of hope. He gives them, he gives them just a, a glimpse of what the future holds down the line. In other words, he gives Micah this utopian vision of a perfect community in a perfect relationship with God. And then Micah says, these two events will happen in the latter days or in, you know, in that day, in the future, this future day. And if you can imagine a skyline of a city where there's two large skyscrapers and Micah, let's, let's say he's at a distance and he's looking at this city and these two skyscrapers are standing right in, right in front of one another from his viewpoint. And so at a distance he's looking at the city and he sees just one tower, one event, one reality in the future. In other words, he sees Micah 4 taking place. This future where God's house will be established with his people. In other words, God's kingdom coming in its fullness God dwelling with His people. He sees it as one tower, one event. But as we walk through the Scripture, we realize that it's not just one event, it's actually two events. You have the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whereas Micah saw them collapsed into one, as God continues to reveal Himself through Scripture, we see it's not just one event, it's actually two events. The first and then the second coming of Christ and we know when Christ returns, he was, He's going to bring in God's kingdom in its fullness. And you'll see what Micah is talking about coming into reality. And we have taste of that now. We see glimpses of it now. But it will be complete when Christ returns. And so that's Micah's vantage point. He's seeing this complete event. And he sees that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Now what I want you to see is, look how the people respond to this. Look how the people respond when God's house is established on the earth. Instead of pursuing their own path to a better life, Micah says they flow to the mountain of the Lord. They flow to the house of the Lord. Now why would they flow to the house of the Lord? Well, it's because just like... You go to someone's house. You don't go to someone's house to look at their house. You go to someone's house to be with the person. And it says in verse 2, They flow to the house of the Lord that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His paths. See, the difference between the two paths we've talked about to a better life, one is concerned with our way Whereas the second path is concerned with God's way. 
And also we see here that the, that the nations, the nations here are not primarily concerned with a perfect place or a perfect state of being, but rather they're concerned with a perfect person. You know, the people want to know the Lord and desire His ways. And the result is shown to us in verses 3 and 4. Look what happens as they begin to know the Lord. They're in a relationship with the Lord. They know His ways. They walk in His ways. This is what happens. Verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And so what we see here is when we walk in God's path, and we enter a relationship with God, what flows from that is peace. It says, the nations beat their swords into plowshares. In other words, you have what could be called you know, total, total nuclear disarmament. I mean, you have all weapons laid down, and even transformed into farming utensils or something else because you don't need them anymore. And they don't even learn war anymore because when God rules your life, there is peace there. And when God rules the nations, there is peace there. And then he says, they shall sit every man under his vine and and under his fig tree. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And so you see contentment. I don't need to go steal your fig tree. I don't need to covet your fig tree because I have a fig tree. In other words, you have what you need. There's no greed. There's no hunger anymore. And you see peace, contentment, and unity. You don't learn war anymore. Uh, You don't have to prepare yourself for conflict because God's peace is reigning. Now the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, this better life is found in God, so how do we gain access to God? You know, how are we allowed to flow into the house of God and learn His ways and walk in His ways? And what we see in the Scriptures, there's, there's only one door to the house of God. You have one entry point, one door. And Jesus says it like this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the door. He's the access point to God. And so He's the one that provides a way for us to experience this better life. And it's only through a relationship with God that we can experience the life that we're we're made for. And so we gain access to the mountain of God because Jesus ascended another mountain called Calvary and died on the cross for our sin. Because sin is what was hindering our access to God. And so when Christ ascended the mountain of Calvary, died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, that blew open the door to access to God if we would just come through Him by faith. So it's through Jesus that we enter a relationship with God. And so, when your vision of a better life is tethered to God, 
connected to a relationship with God, two things happen. The first thing is, you, you live with this future hope. Like Micah told the people. There will be a time in that day when this will be true of the, of the earth, of the world. God will reign. The peace will, will flourish. No greed, no hunger, contentment, unity. You'll see that happen as a future event. And that will come true because the Lord of the hosts has spoken. Right? And so you have a future hope. That's the first thing. But the second thing that is true is that even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, if you're tethered to God, you can begin to experience the benefits of that eternal life even now. So if you're tethered to God and you're awaiting this future hope, even in this life of brokenness and evil, you can experience the benefits of having a relationship with God and having eternal life with God even now. In other words, you can experience peace, you can experience contentment, and you can experience unity now because of what Christ has done and what He will do. And what I want you to see here and how this applies to you now is that what makes you a better neighbor, for example, what makes you a better neighbor is not primarily your concept of what a good neighbor is. You know, it's not just, you know, if I could just have a, an idea of what a great neighbor is, I could be that. No, that's not primarily what makes you a great neighbor. What makes you a great neighbor is your understanding and application of the gospel. What makes you a great spouse, husband or wife, what makes you a great spouse is not having, having primarily a vision of what a great spouse is, but what makes you a great spouse is rooted in your understanding and application of the gospel. What makes you a, uh, a great child, or a great worker, a great friend, is not having these uh, individual you know, conceptions of what a great friend is. And I'm not saying all those are bad, but I'm saying at, at the root level, what makes you a great neighbor spouse, child, grandparent, worker, is your understanding and application of the gospel. It is, it is being tethered to God. Because only in God can you have that better life. In other words, it's only in God that you can live out the life that you were made to live. If you walk down any other path, like the writer of Proverbs says, it leads to death. And so, whereas John Lennon, he would have you imagine the perfect place, I want you to imagine a perfect person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And that perfect person, and through Him alone, through Jesus Christ and Him alone, can you know God and experience that better life that God meant for you to experience. Let us pray. God, we come to you and we confess that oftentimes we go our own way. We come up with our own paths, our own ideas of what is good and what is right. But the writer of Proverbs says oftentimes those ideas lead to death. It leads to the destruction of the very thing that we're trying to acquire.
But Lord, we see life is found in you. Your paths are the way to life. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see your paths through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to cling to the gospel and reflect on what you've done for us and what you will do as we seek to be uh, better spouses, better neighbors. How we seek to obey our parents, honor our parents. How we seek to relate to our co-workers and those who don't know you. Lord, I pray the gospel would be the foundation of who we are and how we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.